0: Hey, how's it going? Welcome back to the Endpoem Podcast, a new one-on-one show where I sit down with the folks behind some of our favorite games, or maybe the games that are just around the corner. I'm Alex James Kane, author of the Boss Fight book's entry on Star Wars Night-Sealed Republic. I've written for places like Polygon, who published my oral history of Morrowind in 2019, for Killscreen, Rolling Stone, and Glixel, Variety, StarWars.com, USA Today, PC Gamer, and Fangoria Magazine. I thought this podcast might be a perfect way to catch up with some of the people I've talked to in years past, meet some very cool new ones, and learn more about the art and craft of making video games. My guest today is New York Times bestselling author and video game writer Sam Maggs. She was a pop culture journalist for a while, blogging at places like The Mary Sue, io9, and Tor.com, but went on to do a lot of big franchise comics and fiction like Captain Marvel, The Wasp, Star Wars Adventures for IDW. Uh, Sam has also worked for Bioware, Insomniac Games, Wizards of the Coast, Critical Role, and Activision on games like Anthem, Ratchet & Clank Ripped Apart, and Call of Duty Vanguard. Her recent novel, Star Wars Jedi Battle Scars, explores the period between Respawn's Fallen Order and Jedi Survivor. If you're a fan of Sister Marin and Cal Kestis, it's a must-read. And this was a really fun chat. Here's me and Sam Maggs. First of all, you know, congrats on the book. It's exciting that you were kind of able to write a novel from Marin's point of view and uh, have it be a New York Times bestseller. So that's got to be good for your first Star Wars novel, right?
1: Oh, I mean, huge. And it also feels exciting for a video game novel. Uh, You know, I, I think that it just shows how much people want more content of these characters that they love as much as I do.
0: Yeah, I was really impressed how it kind of it lines up thematically and in terms of the characters journeys like from the first game and on through you know i sort of i read the book after playing both games so kind of out of order but it does feel like you know sort of a must read for somebody who loves survivor so you know it's like the best compliment you can give something like this right that it feels essential for people who uh like these characters and uh you kind of see how cal gets to be an adult and and things like that, as opposed to sort of the child Cameron that we get in the first game. You must have, you know, everybody must have been on the same page in terms of like the writing team and stuff like that. So, who is sort of your point of contact for for like the narrative side of things?
1: Oh yeah, well, first of all, thank you. I, I appreciate that, and I worked in concert with both the folks at Respawn and the folks at Lucasfilm to make sure that we were all aligned. Um, At the point when I started writing the book, the game story already existed and was completed. So they already knew what they were going to do for Survivor. So with the folks at LFL Games and the narrative team at Respawn, we were able to all sit down together. Uh, Respawn put together essentially a one-sheet, that was kind of like, here are the must-haves that we really want to see in the book. And that included things like, you know, spoiler alert here, (laughs) if you haven't played the game, Uh, but that included things like, how did Grease lose his arm, uh, starting to see the crew fight, establishing Marin's pansexuality canonically, this sort of list of like the things that they really wanted to see. And then they sat me down and uh, took me through like a PowerPoint presentation, (laughs) a deck basically of what the, Jedi survivor story was going to be front to back. So what I had when I was starting to write the book was I knew what happened in Fallen Order. I knew what was going to happen in Survivor. And I had a list of a few things that I knew I had to touch on and I was able to build out from there. So uh, my point of contact largely was my editor, at formerly Del Rey, now Random House Worlds, Tom Holler, who is wonderful. And through Tom, we were able to work with, like I say, Story Group and the Respawn Narrative team to make sure that everything was lining up the way that it needed to so that everything made sense.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. So have you had a chance to kind of just play the game for fun yet since the seconds come out or?
1: Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I'm uh, I haven't finished it yet because I am just like dicking around, collecting seeds and stuff. Um, which I, There's so much game to explore. Um, and the first game was similar, but like the second game, it's just, it's huge. And so I really wanted to take my time and just enjoy wandering around with my little buddy. Um, so I'm about halfway through the story at the moment.
0: Yeah. Plus you, you already kind of knew the the story spoilers going in. So you didn't have to worry about that. Oh, yeah, I mean, much. I know
1: what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Totally.
0: So I really loved uh the descriptions of of Marin's, you know, her green Night Sister fire, you know, whatever you want to call it. She just calls it the fire, I guess, which is sort of her her connection to the dark side or the shadow or the force. And did you mainly watch the Clone Wars to get into that? Or did you have like sort of new instructions coming in on how to sort of illustrate her powers?
1: Yeah. So my main existing knowledge of Night Sisters came from Clone Wars but something that was kind of presented to me as an opportunity with this book was we don't know a lot about this. We haven't really had the opportunity to dive into this on a personal level. Like, what does it feel like when someone uses these powers? What, you know, what is the extent of their abilities? How would it feel if you weren't on Dathomir anymore? And so Lucasfilm kind of gave me freedom to explore that a little bit, which was really cool. I think the two areas where Lucasfilm... Asked me specifically to kind of push the lore forwards a little bit and be creative and invent some more, you know, uh, kind of crunchy bits about about Star Wars lore was both in Night Sister Magic and then also the Fifth Brother's backstory, which we didn't have any of before Battle Scars. We basically just knew that he was an Inquisitor and he was pretty angry. <laughs> we didn't know his species. We didn't know anything about him, and so. I knew that I wanted to use an Inquisitor as the villain in this book. Originally, Tom and I thought it would be really fun to use the Inquisitor that Delilah Dawson is writing about in her upcoming Inquisitor novel, because we thought it'd be cool to connect those. Um, but we were writing our books at the same time. <laughs> so there wasn't enough like confirmed knowledge about Delilah's character, for me to be able to pull that over. So Lucasfilm actually were the ones who suggested the fifth brother. And they were like, we don't know anything about him. And we would love for you to tell us about him. And so that was kind of the same story when it came to Night Sister Magic was, this is the first time we've really been able to get into their heads. You know, tell us what you think that feels like. And there was back and forth about that. Um, One of the biggest things that I found surprising was in my early drafts of the book uh almost until the very end actually I had marin teleporting one of her main powers was teleporting because when you play the game it looks like she teleports like that's how she kind of it looks like she keeps up with cal but it's not i lucas was like absolutely not night sisters cannot do that they just disappear and then move really fast <laughs> and i was like okay, sure. Oh, cool, dude. (laughs) Like, no problem. So that was one of the things that I had to change, because I kind of made an assumption from the way that it looks in game. (laughs) But that is different than how it actually like functions canonically. So you know, I had a lot of wiggle room, not entire, like not total freedom. But yeah, they were cool about it.
0: That's funny. Yeah, I, I totally would have said that she teleports and that her magic is mysterious and like that's good enough for me. But that's very funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like the uh, the synergy between the Obi Wan Kenobi TV show and this this book and the game. The way that yeah, the fifth brother shows up again, and then the uh, of course the hidden path is a, a big deal in the game at a certain point too. But so you. You sort of created Fritz species for the book. Is that right? Or
1: it was a legacy species from, you know, it had appeared in legends. It is canonical currently, but we don't really, it's appeared, they've appeared in like the Kashiri have appeared in like one comic book canonically, essentially since wiping out um, the, the legacy legends content. Uh, And I was like, I think it would be cool to use a species that does exist, but that we now get to kind of reinvent the backstory for a little bit. Um, Some of the backstory that existed for the Kashirian legends didn't really fit anymore. I tried to stay pretty close to that, but we got to tweak it a little bit so it fits better in the current canon. And that was cool. It felt like being able to go back and take something that already existed that was like a great species, something really interesting and modernize it to fit. The current Star Wars canon,
0: yeah, that's cool. That's a good example of how that sort of happens. Then because it it does happen occasionally where we sort of get something, and yeah, it usually is through the comics or you know the games and stuff. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, you know, Grease is a really lovable character, and I think that in this book, especially, you can't help but like feel for him. And then he's really good in Survivor. What did you think of this sort of idea implied in the book, and also? Maybe throughout Star Wars in general, this like idea of the wound as like a symbol of like familial love. You know, you get Luke losing his hand to his father, and uh, you know, Dagan Gera <laughs> loses an arm. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, there's like this this running theme of the the wound, and specifically, you know, hands or arms. And with Grease, it's oh yeah, really touching. You know,
1: oh, think I mean, well, first of all, Grease is like one of my favorite characters. He was so easy to write in this book his voice is so distinct and comes so easily when writing I, and I love his like grumpy exterior but heart of gold interior he's so funny um but I this metaphor is so interesting or this like theme of losing your arm through love <laughs> for your family uh and is something that like you know I thought about Luke losing his hand when I was writing Battle Scars and how it related to this But I didn't really think about it in the context in which you're discussing it. And I think that's such a like such a brilliant analysis of that sort of repetitive trope in Star Wars. Yeah, I I think it's I mean, I don't I don't know what to say about it, except for I think you're 100 percent right. It's a a great analysis of that. Like, it's wonderful.
0: It's just funny that, yeah, I mean, it comes up and, and with Grease, I feel like you sort of get into the meat of that more than like, typically it's not something we dwell on. Like Anakin gets his arm chopped off by Christopher Lee. And then it's kind of like, okay, next scene. But with Grease, you really feel this pain, you know? Uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah, And with Grease, like I knew that he was going to be out of the game and running a bar by the time we got to survivor and that his sort of ongoing issue in survivor was going to be like, I can't because of my disability, I have to relearn how to do something that used to come really, really naturally to me. And now I have, you know, my body has changed and I have to adjust the way that I do things and it doesn't feel the same and that feels really bad and grief doesn't know how to handle it. Um, and so instead of handling it, he kind of just bails on it and is like, I don't, this is too difficult for me. It's too painful. Um, and so getting back together with his family kind of forces him into a place where he has to relearn that in a different way, and he's not obviously. We all change, and our bodies change, and we're not the same people that we were before. And we adapt. And I think it was—it's a really the respawn team came up with a really interesting way of you know looking at a character that becomes like gains a disability and then has to kind of rethink the way that they see themselves and their career and the things that are important to them and the toll that it can take on you mentally when you have to like relearn something that degrees feels as basic as and as easy and as natural as walking you know um so it felt really important to explore that in a way that to your point like previous star wars media hasn't really dove into that before i think because it's really easy to say and then they put a robot arm on and he's fine and nothing has changed um and so i like that we were able to actually like dig into that a little bit and be like no no like this would impact you Mentally, <laughs> even even if his new arm does do everything his old arm does, there's still a mental component to that that is messing with him. You know, understandably.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you tap into something rich because, like at the beginning of Survivor, the family is sort of split up, and then you know there's that idea that he sort of comes back onto the ship, and the ship is like their home, and so when he's like sitting at the the controls and sort of feeling like it's not quite the same home anymore there's something like very uh i don't know something something universal uh about that beat there
1: yeah i totally agree i appreciate that but
0: you know so you've got these sort of two components to your career um where you've worked on some video games and then you've sort of worked in the the sort of middle ground where you're bridging like the ip from from novels to games and so what are some of your, your memories of like discovering video games as a medium like that uh, made you want to write for those?
1: Oh, well, I, you know, I grew up playing games. I it had always been a huge part of my life. Um, my parents had my first system wasn't in television, <laughs> <laughs> on which I played a lot of Burger Time because I'm ancient. <laughs> I love Burger um, Time. Oh, God, I love Burger Time. Mm, so good, so difficult. So good. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, where's the Burger Time movie? Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I had always been a huge fan. And, you know, I had a PS2 and a uh, N64. But the first game that I remember getting really, really invested in when I was, you know, 10, 11, I still have the pre order sheet printed on paper in the box but uh Baldur's Gate 2 Shadows of Om was my first like video game obsession uh I think in a lot of ways because it was the first game where I that I played where I could choose the gender of my player character like I could play as a girl and I was like oh dang there's rules like I I get to I get to be me in this game instead of like you know uh, uh someone else or just playing generic dude or whatever like you know played a lot of Link and Mario and stuff, but like, it was really cool. And Boulders Gate obviously is exceptionally story heavy. I mean, those games are like 90% text on screen. Um, And that was the first time that I was just like, oh man, like the character, I mean, Minsk and Boo and like these characters are eternal. And that was kind of my gateway, I think, into like, oh man, video game storytelling and video game characters can be this really like huge and impactful thing. And that stuck with me for a really long time. And so I ended up at Bioware eventually. Um, but I, I very much, that was sort of the first time that I realized and influenced the way that I think now about game storytelling, which is that like, I think it is the future of narrative. I think that other forms of story, you know, and I write novels and comic books and I'm not trying to like be down on them or whatever, but like other forms of storytelling are passive. You, you intake them and they happen to you. Uh, you witness them, uh, but video game storytelling is active. You are the character. You are experiencing the narrative uh, because you you are in control. I mean, that is even more the case in like choice based RPGs, um, but in in anything, like you are the protagonist, and so that form of I think it's why I feel like game stories have impacted me the most, and the strongest, and the longest lasting as opposed to like almost any other form of story that I've taken in, like mass effect has impacted me and my life. Like so like intensely in a way that like not a lot of books or movies really have. Um, and so I don't know that was, but yeah, that was my introduction to
0: it. <laughs> cool. Did you, uh, so did you have like an Xbox and played Night's the Republic back then or was Oh it-
1: yeah, uh, totally. Yep. 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 Um, and you know that was sort of that was my gateway, yeah. <laughs> and then I got into the rest of it. But mm-hmm. and uh, you know I love Knightsley Old Republic. I've joked about this on Twitter before, um, and a lot of <laughs> angry people <laughs> found it and misunderstood the joke. But uh, I played a lot of the <laughs> Lucasfilm game Yoda stories on my PC. <laughs> Oh, right. (laughs) On my little laptop when I was a kid. And, like, I, that game, I loved that game. I played it to death. Uh, I also play KOTOR, which I also loved, but, like, those old Lucasfilm games um, (laughs) uh, projects were also so great. Like, for all that they were terrible they were wonderful you know
0: <laughs> yeah there's some real diamonds in the rough as far as like mm-hmm. old, older star wars games you know we didn't always have oh, jedi yeah. survivors and and squadrons type games to you know there was you know there were the classics like kotor and jedi outcast and racer but there were also just these kind of experimental ones that were fun
1: totally and like nicely old republic was so influential like in so many i mean Honey is like the first queer female character in Star Wars, really, and it's huge. You know, I owe a lot of being able to write Battle Stars to to that character. So
0: oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah, when I think about great Bioware companion characters, like Juhani is kind of the original, like amazing original mass, uh, original Bioware Bioware buddy. Yeah, yeah, totally.
1: Oh my god, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah,
0: no question. So that's cool that you kind of thought about her uh, for for the whole. You know, Marin and Fret relationship and stuff like that. That's cool. That yeah, for sure. You can, you can kind of draw that line a little bit. So, as far as like becoming a writer, did you ever do like writers' workshops or things like that?
1: So I did my master's degree uh, in like English literature,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that was my you know that was a real crash course in. <laughs> I went straight from high school to what we call university in Canada straight into my master's and I got my master's when I was 22 and from there I sort of didn't know what to do with myself. Sub- like there's no clear path to becoming a video game writer or becoming a writer in general <laughs> and so my sort of crash course in writing professionally was writing online I did a lot of digital journalism uh, when I first started out I wrote for a website called the Mary Sue for many years um, as well as like a bunch of different Canadian newspapers. And those were, those were sort of, that was sort of like my training ground. It helped me because I had to write like five articles a day because you have these insane quotas in digital journalism now, which is like a whole other issue, but it got me past my perfectionism I think a lot of writers struggle with like drafting because they're like, oh my gosh, everything that I write has to be perfect. And I, you know, I just had to write. I had to write all day, every day, all the time. And like, it had to be good enough, (laughs) you know? And so that was really helpful, but I never, you know, I haven't, um, I've worked with a bunch of folks, especially at Bioware who are big proponents of the Clarion sci-fi program, like the sci-fi writing program. And a lot of BioWare's um, writing practices come out of the the techniques learned there. Interesting. Uh, So that's yeah, that's a cool one. Um, But yeah, that was that was sort of my like early lesson (laughs) in figuring out how to write.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I went to the one in Seattle like a decade ago, and it was very friendly to that sort of you know working writer that you know the 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 regular novelist or, you know, the people writing, uh, I met like Greg bear who was doing like the halo novels at the time. And, and so oh, cool. it was, it was cool to kind of, you know, see that, that side of publishing, you know, as opposed to just, you know, the Georgia R. R. Martins of the world, that kind of thing. You know, it's very, you know, there's, there's a certain kind of writer who, who can't afford to put out a book every 12 years. Right. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah,
1: man, like 99% of us.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so Clarion is cool for that, that kind of thing, like, you know, that killing the perfectionism like you're talking about. So what's unique about your process that helps you do that? Are you very much a keyboard writer? Or are you pen and paper or?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm a keyboard guy. I mean, it depends on the medium that I'm writing in uh, because I write, you know, across. I write novels and I write comic books and I write video games. Um, my process differs based on what i'm working on it also differs based on whether or not i'm writing something original or something that is ip so something mm-hmm. that someone else owns uh i work largely in ip uh, have up until this point and so though there are slight differences the process is mostly similar especially early on which is that there always has to be i mean typically i am either approached to pitch so they're kind of like, hey, we're looking for someone to write the Captain Marvel series. Like, what's your best idea? You know, or in the case of Star Wars, um, they just approach me directly and are like, we want you to write this book. <laughs> and I don't have to go through the the song and dance of the pitch, you know. Um, yeah. But so there's the early, there's that early kind of, there can be this sort of pre-early outline outline, <laughs> which is the pitch. From there... Especially always in IP writing, you have to move on to what basically amounts to like a short pitch, um, a synopsis, like I would say, especially in comics, but even with this, like a paragraph about like, here's what I want the comic to look like. Here's what I want the book to look like. This is sort of my like really top level idea. Sometimes I'll send three or four of those, especially in comics um, to kind of be like, hey, pick, pick the one you like, you know, I'll do any of these. Uh, From there, it always moves on to the outline stage, because when you're working with IP, before you dive into writing the actual script or the actual manuscript, everyone at every level of the approval process has to sign off on a really in-depth outline. Um, And so especially on Battle Scars, like we went back and forth on the outline for months and months and months uh, between, you know, my editor, Lucasfilm and Respawn, because everybody has to be bought in before you start making it um and that that is the case with like all ip projects so i'm i'm not a seat of the pants writer i am i write to an outline i mean obviously things often change as you get into it um, and that's that's okay but i because i have worked so heavily in ip um, i am now always an outline writer so even when i'm working um you know on my own stuff i work from an outline now. Uh, And then then I'll sort of break things down. Uh, If I'm working on a novel, I use a software program called Plotter, P-L-O-T-T-R, which is the software equivalent of sticky tacking like cue card notes up on a wall to, to plot out, you know, your main arc and your character arcs and like all of your beats and chapter breakdowns. It basically does that on your computer, you can do it on your computer instead of having to use a wall <laughs> or a whiteboard or whatever to plot that out. Um and then I once I have that all set up chapter by chapter, um, sort of beat by beat, I export that into a program called Scrivener, Scrivener, I think Scrivener, uh, which is great manuscript writing software for novel writers. It lets you break your whole novel down section by section so that you're not just writing in one huge Microsoft Word document, which could be like <laughs> horrifying (laughs) um so those are the programs that i use for um for novel writing so for something like battle scars that's what it looks like with comics uh they're actually weirdly enough um there is no approved or sort of general template for what a comic script looks like every writer does it differently uh like they're all mostly similar but like it it all looks different there is no standardized model which is like Kind of bizarre, but I just write in Word. Uh, you break it down page by page, panel by panel, dialogue line by dialogue line, which is cool. And then games writing differs severely based on the project. Um, some projects will have proprietary software, uh, BioWare in particular, you know, when I was there was using Frostbite uh, and had a really complex dialogue editor built into the engine. Most places use Excel. <laughs> which is like hateful but like lots of games are written in excel <laughs> um or final draft so it really depends but the process really for for everything tends to be big outline that goes through a million levels of approvals
0: before writing so what spoke to you about uh, fallen order as like a a star wars fan and and a, somebody who loves games like when you played that first game i think you tweeted that you were a big fan of marin but But what's what spoke to you? Yeah, I mean, I I had the same reaction to that game. Was like, you know, the section where she's introduced is so good. But like, what sort of spoke to you about the the story in the game?
1: I mean, my favorite sci-fi trope is ragtag space crew of idiots, found family, doofuses on a boat. (laughs) You know, like like I say, Mass Effect, Firefly. Like that is my favorite genre of. story really like it is my favorite thing um and so fallen order had that vibe more than almost anything else in star wars does of like bunch of weirdos on a ship don't know what they're doing destined to fail you know because they're so small what could they possibly do against huge empire uh and and they were they all had such big Immediate personalities like every character in Fallen Order, I was like, I immediately fell in love with and wanted to know more about them and spend more time with them. Um, and so those two things combined, I was just like, oh man, I'm in love with this, and I want more stories about these people, and especially like you said, about Marin because she gets introduced so late in a game that we don't get very much of her so I immediately was like oh my gosh I want more of her and I think that's why Battle Scars you know I've seen some reviews kind of be like oh a lot of Star Wars novels are set on like a much larger scale whereas Battle Scars is basically just like one mission over the span of two weeks like a kind of just like a thing that happens to these guys during the intervening years one of many like little adventures that happens to them and that that felt really important to me. I didn't want it to be a big epic. Like I wanted it to just be like, hey, and here's a here's a what a couple of weeks in the life of this crew looks like in the, you know, five years between five-ish years between Fallen Order and Survivor. Because they seem like a lot of other Star Wars stories really do have this grand scale. And I really like the micro scale of of Fallen Order and of Survivor. Which is not to say that they don't do important things that impact the galaxy i mean i guess it wasn't important enough for them to mention in obi-wan <laughs> <laughs> not that that bothered me yeah really. Like, cal did this yeah <laughs> acknowledge him
0: <laughs> credit well, i wanted good.
1: him to show up
0: <laughs> oh yeah i would love him to show <laughs> up for an episode of, of anything God, yeah
1: uh give him a show
0: so you worked in insomniac for a little while right Mm-hmm. do you How have was there like, for a year and a half do you have like a favorite memory of did you work on both Spider-Man and Ratchet and Clank or?
1: I did. I worked on I wrote a bunch for the Spider-Man DLC, The City That Never Sleeps. Oh, right. Um and then I was lead writer on Rift Apart for about a year and a half. Um I was hired on specifically for Rift Apart uh because they were including a playable female character for the first time and so they were looking for that voice, but when I joined they were like, "Hey, we actually have to put out the Spider-Man DLC in the next like x number of weeks can can you please write a bunch of it and i was like sure man um so it was great i i like i loved working at insomniac the team there was so wonderful so kind i mean the the most exciting thing there for me honestly was like getting to write for peter parker (laughs) i mean he's the most famous character uh, like on earth literally um and it just felt so meaningful And, you know, it was my dad's favorite comic book character. And it was, it felt really special and I felt really lucky. And it was really, really fun to work on. It also, you know, I got lucky in that they had already been through all the hardships of the base game. (laughs) yeah, (laughs) And making that story and fleshing out like what their Peter sounds like and how they... You know, all the crunchy stuff of like how they get that. I got to just come in when all of that was already established and they were kind of like, now write extra content. And I was like, great. (laughs) Sure. So I was lucky. I was very lucky in that regard. But it was it was really, really fun. And everyone on that team was incredibly talented. And working with Marcus Smith on Rift Apart, who Marcus Smith, who was also the creative director of Sunset Overdrive. Mm -hmm. um, He just has really wonderful vision and it was really cool working with him, and fighting really hard with him to maintain Rivet as a playable character in yeah. that Ratchet game, which was not something that you know folks were largely on board with. It was really hard to convince people that it was a good idea, and I cried a lot of tears over it. <laughs> you know, like it was it was not an easy time, but I think uh, time proved out that it was it was the right call, um, and so I'm really. Yeah, I feel really grateful that I got to be a part of that in the early days.
0: It wound up being, yeah, one of the best games on the PS5. So well done, <laughs> fight, yeah, fight, oh, fight thank one. You, you know? um, yeah, and I mean, she does get kind of fifty percent of the screen time. It feels like, right? I hope.
1: Yeah, she does, and I I left about like I say a year and a half into production on that game, and the rest of the story team took over. Like um, Lauren, me did a ton of the writing on that game. Uh, and she did an amazing job. And yeah, I think that I think it turned out incredible.
0: Yeah, I was a big fan of Anthem and I was really sad. Oh,
1: my God. Thank you. You and nobody else. Thank yeah, you so you much, know, my friend. <laughs> there, you know,
0: there are dozens of us. There are dozens of us. No, but <laughs>
1: <I> no, <know>, truly.
0: <laughs> it was it was a real bummer uh, what happened with that. Uh, did you kind of have a certain reaction when you found out that they were just kind of not going to pursue like DLC and just kind of sunset the game? Was that? hard for you
1: i mean it was not surprising look everything around anthem was hard for me i bioware was my dream studio (laughs) obviously like i said i was a fan of them from the start Uh, i got hired out there specifically to work on anthem um and it just like you know i think the writing team we really tried our best to infuse those characters with that like bioware magic you know Mm -hmm. and that love but ultimately you know that wasn't really the narrative wasn't really the focus of that game And I think as a lot of people know, the development was sort of plagued by issues and indecision from leadership. (laughs) And like the the game had a lot of problems, you know, and so it was definitely it was my first game. It was a difficult first game uh, to be a part of it. I wish that things could have been different. I will say that, you know, a lot of the reasons that I think the game got sunsetted were things that everybody working on the game knew (laughs) about (laughs) like we all knew and tried to sort of call out those problems and the things that we were nervous about during the development Um, and so when those kind of became the issues that came up on launch you know we were all there we all knew like it wasn't surprising you know I think we all wished that things could have gone differently <laughs> for that game um I still do because I still like I'm still so proud of the work that everybody did on that game I'm I'm glad you like it because I think that there's so much gold buried under like what is a layer of like really intense problems unfortunately but the character I wrote for that game Bryn, like still one of my favorite characters that I've ever written and I learned so much during my time at Bioware, and I met so many wonderful people, and you know, I got I got taught how to write video games by like Patrick Weeks <laughs> and like Mary, like the best video game writers in my opinion who have like ever existed. Like, so I mean, how lucky can you be, really? Yeah. You know, yeah. that was so. Even though the game itself didn't turn out to be, I think, what a lot of us wanted it to be or hoped it would be. that experience for me was so valuable and um and now i'm an edmonton oilers fan forever so that's (laughs) kind of a bummer
0: yeah Um,
1: (laughs) yeah but i'm I'm really glad you like it um i don't know i think there's like i say i think there's so much gold hidden under there and that game had so much potential yeah a a real bummer
0: (laughs) it'll be fun to see what kind of games riff on it and and try to kind of get that formula right in the future if if that ever happens because
1: Yeah, totally. I mean I think it's interesting to hear you say that because I think that the egg that everyone is trying to crack right now and has I mean Anthem we're talking a decade ago now almost, but the egg that Anthem was trying to crack and that every studio I think has been trying to crack and is maybe abandoning now a little bit in favor of just going back to like Jedi style single player games is how do you have an always online multiplayer game that also has a really strong narrative and is really story focused that people care about. I don't think anybody has really cracked that egg yet. I don't know if I'm sure it is. I don't have the answer to that. I worked with a lot of studios that have been trying to solve that problem over the last like decade. And I don't know if anybody has really come up with the answer yet. I mean, Apex Legends, I think does a really good job of getting you to care about their characters oh yeah which Mm -hmm. is like a great example of doing that in a way but yeah anthem and lots of other places are still asking that question of like we want we want a game as a service because we think it's the thing that's going to make us a bajillion money but also players want a good story how do we do those things at the same time and it's been a really hard nut to crack
0: yeah, how do you have Fortnite and Mass Effect in in one package? Like, it's it's impossible. Yes. It's impossible, but yes. it's cool seeing games like Avengers or Destiny, like, try, you know, and, and experiment with that for sure.
1: I agree. And I think, yeah, I'm glad you bring up Destiny because I think they are trying. And their seasonal content now, especially, is trying really hard to do exactly that. So it's cool to see them be able to experiment with that.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like a bit lower stakes, like the seasonal stuff, but the things that they do with it it is cool to see how they implement it. It's such a kind of a rapid cadence, you know, it's kind of nobody else is quite doing it like the way that they are in the game itself. I feel like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And they have a great narrative team there that they've built up over the last few years full of like really strong folks. Yeah, it's cool. I am glad that generally the industry seems to be moving away from the myth of like, Oh, our always online game service is the only way to make money in video games, and it's the only kind of game that people want to play. Because that was it was a really hard time to be a writer in the industry. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> because they were asking us to solve this kind of impossible, to your point, problem, where you would kind of come on and they would be like, "Well, this is the most. This is the thing that all the executives want. So, like, now what do we do with it?" And it was hard to be able to tell people like. Nobody really knows <laughs> yeah. like we can try our best, but uh, nobody knows And I think it's, it's telling in a way that the best narrative studio like in the world wasn't able to solve it. Um, so I don't know. It's
0: interesting. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, it, it was funny how like Fallen Order, I feel like I may be misremembering, but I feel that people really had a question mark on Fallen Order as to whether it would sell the way they wanted it to and then 100% now the survivor is out like I think it sold in like what two days of April or three days of April it sold more than like any other game in April so uh that yeah, that listen, myth has I been mean, shattered thankfully
1: totally some inside baseball and I think this is common knowledge at this point or like it's been floating out there but you know there was an edict that the next dragon age be multiplayer because mm-hmm. this was That time when it was like every game has to be a game as a service has to be multiplayer, JFO came out, sold like gangbusters, and they were like, "Oh, never mind, you can totally make a single player game again. That's totally fine. (laughs) We're we're cut like cancel the multiplayer version. Let's make a single player game again." So like like JFO like saved Dragon Age essentially, you know. Um, But it's it's true. All it takes is that one. God, I mean, you find this so often in this industry in so many different ways, but it's always like. Whatever the hit is at that moment, people are like, do that. You know, I'm there's gonna be a wave now after Tears of the Kingdom of people being like, put crafting in it. Yep. <laughs> and poor people on video games being like, That's not what our game is about, man. Like, I don't want I, we can't do that. Like <laughs> But so such is the way of, of this industry at the moment. Yeah. No, <laughs> like, it's
0: so true. It's so true. You get five years of of imitations of whatever the big hit was, like Destiny One or whatever the case may yep. be. So what's next for you? Are you still working on like the Kotor remake a little bit or are you writing a book or can you say?
1: No, so I actually left the Kotor remake about a year and a half ago. I took a full-time job at Wizards of the Coast. In so I had to leave Kotor for that, but Kotor has since actually been taken from Aspire, so they're no longer working on it, which is a bummer, but I think it's it is on perpetual pause at the moment. Um, which is a a real bummer. I hope we're still able to make something out of it. It was really fun to work on. But I worked at Wizards of the Coast for about the last year as part of their digital publishing and licensing team. So I worked um, with the folks making, you know, Baldur's Gate 3 and Idle Champions and incubating a bunch of other Wizards of the Coast video games, which was cool. Uh, They massively downsized their video game department. And well, I'm sure you heard that. Wizards of the Coast had a ton of downsizing in January, so I actually chose to leave. Um, and now I'm working with the folks at Critical Role. Oh,
0: very which cool, which is
1: really, very really cool. fun. Yeah, I have, I mean, they're wonderful, they work across all different mediums, uh, in the way that I do, which is great. I am a firm believer in their storytelling, so that's where I am at the moment. I am also working on a couple of comics that I can't talk about yet but that will be announced soon and i'm trying to I'm, I'm pitching an original novel awesome it's gonna be my first like original novel i'm kind of nervous about it it's interesting like i've worked in ip almost my whole career and yeah. so working on original stuff to me feels really scary i mean it feels like the big next step i have an original graphic novel out already called ton tales with Kendra Wells, which was wonderful to work on. And it's a project I'm so proud of, but like with IP, you have that safe sandbox, you know, it's what I like about working in IP. You're on the yeah. rails a little bit, you know, yeah. I know when I sit down to write Carol Danvers, what she sounds like, what that world is like, all of that work is done for you. It's like writing fan fiction, right? I get to play with my little dolls and it rules and like, <laughs> I get to play in Star Wars. Like that's great. Uh, but writing original stuff, it was like staring at the the blank page, right? And so that's scary mm-hmm. for me, and it feels like the thing that I really need to and want to conquer next. Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of where I'm at. But it's been it's been a blast working with the folks at CR, and you know, I will pop up in games again. <laughs> uh, I'm sort of you know, I feel very fortunate to be at a point in my career where I get to find the right fit in video games, you know, uh, because there are so many wonderful opportunities out there right now and so many wonderful games being worked on. And like, I am very much a firm believer in the fact that any project is fun, as long as you have the right team, and you're working with the right people who are respectful, and who appreciate you and who value you. And so like, when I pick projects in games, I very much don't pick based on you know, the IP or what the project is, but more so like who I would be working with. And like, I recommend that this is a this is a dev podcast, you know, like, I recommend that so much for, for any folks, because the right people can make any project fun. I mean, I worked with the right people on Anthem. And, <laughs> you know, I still love yeah them to my core. So it's a yeah. uh, I think that's like, so much the what matters. And like, I think that's why working with the people at CR has been so wonderful, because they're all so kind and uh, yeah I don't know that's that's sort of where I'm at so yeah a lot of like unannounced stuff at the moment I think with battle scars coming out I I'm taking a bit of a breath to to kind of you know yeah work on my own stuff a little bit and it's been really fun but hopefully I get to play in the Star Wars sandbox again soon because I love working with those folks and I mean it's literally I mean it's Star Wars man N- nothing cooler you know
0: <laughs> yeah yeah. It's uh, it's wonderful that you kind of got to come full circle with the D and D and Baldur's Gate stuff a little bit in a weird way. So, oh my
1: god, a hundred percent! That was like such a big moment for me, and you know, I think I'm hoping too with Survivor out now that there will be even more of a call for like more stories with these characters. So yeah, I absolutely. Hope, I hope we get that.
0: Yeah, I'll take a a Grease comic no, I don't know. Uh, Oh my God. Amen. Like a hundred
1: percent. Yes. Give it to me tomorrow. I want to read it. Like, yes.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, Hey, best of luck with your novel and everything else. And thanks so much for doing this.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. This is such a blast and have a great day.